Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Today, we're going to speak a little bit about Christmas and gift giving. Yeah, that's right, Shani. So we're going to talk about gifts from everyone, from a budding investor to a really experienced investor. Have you done all your Christmas shopping, Mark? Um, will you use anything that we're going to say in this podcast? Yeah, no, I, I haven't yet. So <laughs> I got you your Christmas presents. Yes. Um, so you got one of them last week, I think. And then I've got one more coming in the mail. So I've got that, but I haven't gotten anything for like my mother, for example. So I need <laughs> okay. to work. Well, that's very nice. It's very kind, Mark. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I need to work on that, but I'm getting there. I know, but you can still get me an investing relating related gift that we talk about if you'd like. Okay. We'll just call out whatever you like okay. as we go through. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, so we decided to do this podcast because gift giving can be quite hard and we all have that one person or several that we um, struggle to buy for. So we'll run through a few gifts that you could give, varying budgets um, and where your investor is on their investing journey. So let's start with the obvious, an investment for an investor. Uh, this obviously can range in price and budget, but it's important to remember that any investment does have tax consequences. So before you buy an investment, there are a few considerations that have to be made. So it's always worth checking your intentions with the recipient. Um, and apart from tax, your investor might have an established portfolio already, which means that they have thought out what they're investing in and how much they're investing in it. So best to always check whether this will fit in with what they are doing. So that aside, here are some investments you could consider. The first is micro-investing. Micro-investing means that you're able to invest with as little as $20, and this could be for a budding investor that's looking to start out and you're giving them a kickstart. There are a few micro-investing apps out there, and their purpose is to make investing more accessible for those with lower balances. And this is a really great starting off point and could be a gift that keeps giving. Christmas aside, you could have gifts sorted for a while with a contribution into the investment for each birthday, anniversary, or Christmas. And the great thing about this is that, it'll, that it will encourage long-term investing habits um, if you're investing at each of these intervals, um, because it basically means that you have a multi-year horizon for it to grow. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, it is really important to consider that these investments do have tax burdens. So certainly any income that you earn does need to be declared at tax time. And then once you sell something, if you've actually made money on it, you'll have to pay capital gains tax. But I think the good thing about these apps is that the reporting is really pretty automatic. So you aren't giving a paperwork headache to your recipient at tax time. Yeah. And another consideration and that you'd make with this is fees. If there's a flat fee, so a monthly or yearly fee involved in the investment, make sure that the amount you're gifting makes sense for that flat fee involved. So for example, if an investment has a $2 um, admin fee every month and you invest, invest $20, it'll take just 10 months for that investment to come down to zero if there's no growth. Yeah. So that means that your initial investment will actually be gone before you gift it to them again the next Christmas. We do think that this is a good alternative to money in an envelope or a gift card, especially if they're young and they're keen to start learning about investing. This could be a really good place to start. And then next, if we want to leap up a little bit in price range, but you could make an investment in a traditional managed fund as a gift. Managed funds can be great for gifts because they can often be invested in trustee for people under 18. 
And Mark, you've spoken about this a little bit before, but you talked a little about the gifts your parents gave you when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. So I think I don't remember which podcast I said this in, but my parents did used to gift me shares of individual stocks, and it was just a really great learning experience. So something that、uh, something I thought was valuable for me, and certainly is valuable for others. Yeah, so it can be a really good way to introduce younger people to investing、um, and give it time to grow. And I know that your parents doing that.、Um, obviously, it helps spark your interest.、Um, but yeah, I think this is a really good place to start speaking a little bit about time horizons and why you might want to get started early or gift early in someone's life. So we've used this example before, but it looks、um, at the amount you need to save to get to a million dollars by the age of sixty-five. So the market's doing seven percent per annum, and if you're starting at the age of twenty-five, you need to save four hundred and five dollars a month to get to a million dollars by the age of sixty-five. So I feel like that's pretty reasonable.、Um, if you start at thirty-five, you need eight hundred and fifty-five dollars, so more than double. And then when you're fifty-five, to save a million dollars, you need to invest. Five thousand eight hundred and forty-six dollars a month,、um, and this is one of the best examples of what compounding can do. The earlier you invest, and the more time you have in the market, the savings that you need to accumulate reduces. Yeah, and managed funds make a great option because the initial investment can be as low as a thousand dollars. And additional investments, like the micro investments we talked about earlier, can be made at each birthday or Christmas. It is worth noting, though, that managed funds do require legal capacity, so there does have to be an account holder over the age of eighteen that is taking on the tax consequences. The same as micro investments, you can put your intention on the account, though. So, for instance, if I wanted to get you another gift, <laughs> I could set up an account. It could be Mark Lamonic as the trustee for Shani. Well, that's very nice, Mark. Um, the difference between micro investments and managed funds、um, is range. So there's no real range of micro investments in the market, and that might change in the future. But unfortunately, now there's only a handful of investment companies doing this,、um, and there's only a few major players in the market. So if you're looking to get an investment for somebody、um, in this way, you could invest in a multitude of asset classes in a diversified way through a managed fund. And like micro investments, traditional fund providers also provide、um, that consolidated tax reporting that Mark was talking about. So it's not a headache for you or the recipient come tax time. And then there are listed assets, so direct shares and equities.、Um, and I know, Mark, you sort of talked about this before. Direct shares was something that you're gifted. What made it a good gift? Yeah, I mean, I thought、uh, I thought the the big thing for me is it really taught me a lot of valuable lessons about investing, and namely that an investment in a share is an investment in a company. And I think starting early and understanding that I had taken on an ownership stake in a company and not just gotten a piece of paper always gave me a lot of perspective, especially during market volatility. So I think that allowed me to focus on the long term prospects of the company rather than just the share price during market downturns. And hopefully, that made it easier to not make poor decisions. Yeah, so I think this is the easiest way to match interest to the gift: purchasing purchasing shares in a company that a person has interest in outside of the company.、Um, but this, of course, should not be the only factor in determining whether a stock might be the right. Gift,、um, considering the future of the stock is important. So, if this feels like the right kind of gift, and you're not sure where to start, have a listen to our "What Is a Share" podcast,、um, and there are some resources at the end that might help you find a company that appeals to your gift re- recipient,、um, but also has a strong outlook. 
Yeah. So one thing we do have at Morningstar is every month our equity research team puts together a list of their best ideas. So each of our teams around the world, including our team here in Sydney, does that. And we thought maybe we would take a couple from the December list. Maybe they'll rename it the Christmas list next year if this <laughs> catches on. But we thought we'd take a couple from this December list that we thought were interesting and just talk about them. So, Shani, do you want to get us started? Yeah. So I'll start with the first one. And the first talk that we'd like to talk about that appears in Morningstar's December Global Best Ideas list is Challenger. Um, Challenger is listed on the ASX and is known as Australia's largest annuity provider. And as we're saying this, it's currently trading at about $5.75, um, and our fair value for Challenger sits at $7.20. So the current stock price implies an extended period of flat or declining annuity sales growth, and we believe that this is pr a pretty pessimistic outlook. And they're facing a couple of challenges. So the first is the low interest rate environment, of course, impacting the investment products that they sell. And then there's industry disruptions. Um, and although they've had challenges, we think that they can expand their annuity sales growth over the long term. Firstly, they're diversifying their distribution beyond the major advisor hubs, which is traditionally what has been their target. And their sales will also be um, targeted now to institutional clients and Japan. Um, so they're expanding into Japan, which will should would should have a positive impact. Um, and they've been working on product innovation as well. So they've got a new product that is a cash rate linked annuity. Um, nothing about this is sexy to most people, but it's extremely appealing to interest rate conscious investors. And so let's talk about sales as well. Challenges annuity sales currently capture less than 5% of the $70 billion um, in funds shifting annually from the accumulation to retirement phase. And this share should increase in the new future. And we think this because annuities help with mitigating longevity risk, budgeting, and social security, all things that are really important to retirees. So they should play a greater role in retiree portfolios in the future as well. All right. Well, I'll take one. So how about Westpac? So our analysts think that Westpac, they, we think their fair value sits around $25, and they're currently trading on December 8th at around $20. So we've all heard of Westpac. They're one of the big four banks in Australia. And for our analysts, it is actually their preferred Australian major bank. So even before the markets tumbled this year, sentiment towards Westpac was already pretty battered. There are a few reasons for this. So number one, their customer remedi remediation costs and the hefty penalty that they paid due to breaches in the anti-money laundering laws. So that did create a lot of uncertainty. And obviously, there's been a reputational risk here. They paid a $1.3 billion penalty. But our analyst, Nathan, doesn't expect the bank to suffer materially enough where loan growth and pricing are negatively impacted over the long term. So Westpac remains one of the largest mortgage and business lenders in Australia and New Zealand, benefiting from 70% of funding from low-cost and sticky consumer deposits. And as we talked about on a previous podcast, the RBA lowered the cash rate recently, and that's put further pressure on margins in the short term. But non-bank lenders relying on wholesale funding markets and securitization markets are likely to find tighter availability and higher costs of funding during these uncertain economic conditions. Westpac is also among the world's most cost-effective banks with little sign of stress in credit quality over the recent years. All of these positives underpin our confidence in solid returns on equity over the long term. And I'll take our last one, and that's Haynes Brands that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, it's a multinational clothing company based out of North Carolina and in 2019 bought in $7 billion US billion in revenue. 
It's a parent company for brands like Champion, The Wonder Bra, Playtex, and so a lot of innerwear. And we give it a fair value of $24. So that's what we think it's worth. And it's currently trading around $14, $15. And we think the market has been overly focused on short-term issues like inventory reductions and its debt. And this means it's overlooked the longer-term opportunities of Haynes that have come about from um, the mixed shift of its business and its free cash flow generation. Haynes owns some of the best best known brands in basic innerwear in the US, which means that they have really good pricing power and still outsell their competitors. And at the same time, they've also expanded outside of the US and its revenue continues to increase from its international arm year on year. And the countries that they've expanded into tend to have more emphasis on brands, which plays really well for Haynes. And the other thing about Haynes is they haven't suspended their dividends during the COVID crisis and has a dividend yield that sits about 4%. We think Hanes may recover faster than other apparel manufacturers, and that's because its products have limited fashion risk because it's innerwear. And that really doesn't change seasonally, and they're purchased regularly regardless of economic conditions. So we might have a pandemic, but hopefully you're still purchasing underwear. They're also available in a lot of retail outlets, so it makes them pretty accessible. All right. Well, thank you very much for covering that one. I, uh, I certainly appreciate <laughs> I thought that. it might be a little bit awkward for you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do appreciate that. So those were just three of the best ideas on our global best ideas list that came out on the 1st of December. There are many more and we'll come out with a new list in January. So anyone you forgot on your Christmas list, you can find something else to buy them in January. Yeah, so um, there are a few things that you need to consider before you go ahead and invest in stocks, though. Mark, did you want to go through that, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big considerations when you're purchasing any direct equities is, of course, brokerage. And so that basically means that you need a certain size of investment to have the brokerage cost actually make sense. So brokerage can range from $8 to $50 here in Australia. So if you are purchasing $50 worth of Telstra shares, it really doesn't make very much sense to spend $15 just to make the trade. And then remember, when the recipient of your gift wants to sell it, they'll incur another $15. So just keep this in mind. Many people wait until they have at least $1,000 in order to make a trade just to make that brokerage cost make sense. And if they're not particular about companies, an ETF is also a good option. So an ETF is a basket of securities that's traded on an exchange. One trade gives you exposure to a number of companies instead of just the one that a stock might. So um, as an investment product, they function in a similar way to equities because they're listed. You incur brokerage in the same way. It's priced throughout the day when the market is open and they have an obligation to be transparent. So you'll see everything that you're investing in. Yeah. And I think, so Shani, when I was talking earlier about one of the advantages of some of the gifts that I got as a kid was that they also provided lessons on investing. So another lesson that you can provide for any budding investors is a lesson on compounding. So compounding can be incredibly powerful, and it's really the secret to building long-term wealth and security. So you can provide that perspective when providing any type of investment gift. So for instance, if you put $1,000 into the superannuation account of a 16-year-old, that could be worth $65,000 at a 7% annual return when they turn 65. So explaining how compounding works, showing that saving and investing when you're young can make a real difference over the long term, can be a gift that keeps on giving. So apart from these micro investments that we mentioned, a lot of these investments require an outlay that's probably more than most people spend on a Christmas gift. So what are some gift ideas under $100 that you can give to budding investors? 
I'm going to be a little bit corny, Mark, and say the simple answer is an investment in knowledge. So books. Um, books are a really great investment because as an investor's knowledge deepens, they usually there's usually a correlation to how confidently they can invest. And with the right knowledge, they can give themselves the best chance of reaching their financial goals. All right. So we've got a few book recommendations to go through. So we'll start with inexperienced investors, and then we can just move along that experience spectrum until we get to investors who have enjoyed learning about it and doing it for years. Okay. So the first book for beginning investors is a little book that still beats the market by Joel Greenblatt. Greenblatt is an American investor and professor at Columbia Business School, and he wrote this book so it was straightforward enough for his kids to understand. It introduces his magic formula to investing, which looks at finding shares with a high return on capital and high earnings yields. He also introduces some basic concepts so new investors can understand how they should think about evaluating the underlying companies. All right. So the next book is The Essays of Warren Buffett, Lessons for Corporate America. This is our first mention of Buffett during this podcast. So everyone who's playing at home and has been playing the Warren Buffett drinking game can now drink. <laughs> Maybe something festive like eggnog, right? I don't know if that really works in Australia with the heat. But anyway, back to the book. So one of Warren's many talents is that he's able to explain investing concepts in a straightforward manner. This is a pretty big contrast from an industry that often makes things sound overly complex to try to intimidate people into thinking that they can't do this on their own and need professional assistance. So the essay of Warren Buffett is just that. It's republishing some of his best essays that talk about investing, of course, but also a number of lessons on just business in general in corporate America. So I think it's time to move up to intermediate investors. So once you've understood the basics of investing, it's time to move on to some more complex concepts. So I'm going to recommend The Outsiders by William Thorndike. The book presents eight case studies of CEOs and focuses on capital allocation decisions. So capital allocation refers to the decisions that companies make in deciding what they should do with the cash that they either um, generate or raise from debt or equity markets. So the importance of capital allocation decisions is underappreciated by a lot of investors, but at the end of the day, owning a share is owning part of a business. So the decisions management makes on what to do with the capital of a company is critical because at the end of the day, it's your capital. And these decisions can be buying other businesses, investing in growth, paying dividends, paying down debt, or buying back shares. And the case studies in this book provide a really interesting perspective on CEOs that took unconventional approaches to capital allocation. All right. So let's do one more for intermediate investors, and that's One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. So Lynch was the portfolio manager for Fidelity's Magellan Fund, which famously outperformed the S&P 500 for 11 straight years. So in this book, One Up on Wall Street, he Lynch talks about his investment philosophy, which includes his pretty famous call to invest in only what you understand, something that Buffett talks about it again just so you can have another sip of eggnog. I wanted to mention Buffett again. Um, so Lynch also preaches that investors should do their homework and research an investment thoroughly and stresses that investors should focus more on a company's fundamentals than the market as a whole. All concepts that I think resonate with us here at Morningstar. And then finally, Lynch encourages investors to focus on the long run and discard short-term market gyrations. All of these are great lessons for any investors, but particularly ones that are trying to improve their knowledge. 
So let's get into books that are for more advanced investors. And one that fits the bill is Phil Fisher's Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. And this is a classic that talks about the 15 points that investors should look for when they're evaluating a company. Phil Fisher was focused on finding great companies that would compound investors' wealth over the long term, and his 15 points are a way to find well-managed companies with great growth prospects. All right. So our last book for advanced investors, and our last book in general, is one of the most famous books in investing, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. And it's a little hard to categorize. So in some ways, it's a really approachable book, but it's important to note that it was written in 1949, which clearly makes it a little bit dated. So I found that the more perspective I've had on investing in general, the more the book has resonated with me. Some of the examples and companies used are, as I said, a bit dated, but that doesn't change the fact that the book is a foundational work for any investor. Calling something timeless is a bit of a cliche, but there are some concepts that are introduced in the book that have stood the test of time. The concept of Mr. Market and the notion that prices can vary significantly from value is the bedrock of investing. He also introduces the concept of margin of safety. So Warren Buffett, drink. (laughs) Call chapters 8 and 20, the bedrock of his investing philosophy, and you don't really need more of an endorsement than that. Yeah, so that's um, a great set of books for investors to get started. Um, And I know that everyone is probably interested in what to get us for Christmas. The best gift we could get is for you to rate our podcast and leave us a review. That'll help us get our podcast in front of more people and hopefully help us improve in the new year. From both of us, hope you have a safe and happy holiday period with your family. Enjoy yourself after a pretty tough year. We'll see you in 2021. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.